Hello, and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Jeff Q. So my name is Jeff Q. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I appreciate uh, it. Just as an intro, my background is marketing ops. My current role, I'm in a, a director role at a at an international software company uh, called Magnitude Software. And Magnitude is uh, a good-sized company, really growing. We service the enterprise market, specifically Oracle, SAP customers. We sell tools that make the SAP and Oracle experience so much better. When we were speaking, we were talking about the importance of team building. And... We really came at it initially from the perspective of what are you looking for in future employees? How do you want them to operate? Is it independently? But I'd love to talk about maybe, and I'm throwing you a little bit of a curveball, but maybe about the strategy when your team's beginning to grow. Who do you hire first? How do you make those kinds of decisions? So it's a great question and very relevant to my experience. When I was hired by Magnitude, there was no marketing operations team. There was a single marketing automation individual who was being pulled, you know, like horses ripping a person apart. They were getting grabbed from everywhere. Everybody wanted a piece of them. And, you know, in this marketing ops, marketing automation, it is very service oriented. You know, you, you want to say yes, you want to be helpful. And when you're nice and a nice person, it, it becomes really tough, right? Boundaries and are hard. Boundaries, boundaries are really hard. And other, and because you have so many stakeholders, like if when you're a single person, other people don't really care about what the other person wants. It's not them being selfish or anything. It's just that they, you know, they do have a singular vision and it's necessary for them to be successful. So the company realized this was a challenge. They needed to build out a team. They went looking for someone who had team experience, team building experience. I was hired for the, I was fortunate to be hired for the role and start a team already with one person already on board. And then my first hire after that was someone who actually, uh, who has, who actually had minimal Marketo experience, but tons of Salesforce marketing cloud experience. Oh, wonderful. And during the inner, which is, you know, a far tougher product to master than Marketo. But what I was looking for wasn't someone who could kind of talk through flows. What I was really looking for during the interview, and this was pre-COVID a couple of years ago in person. And I brought in the sales ops director with me to interview, interview this individual. And at one point I said, you know, if you need to get up and draw it out on the board, that's fine. Because the questions we were asking needed to be answered visually, needed to be answered in a flow chart style. We needed to see visual if then else decisions being made, you know, yes. we needed a decision tree being being shown. It was the only way to do it. You, you can't speak to these multiple streams of thought, which is what you get in a, in a workflow. Mm -hmm. And I was just waiting for, for them to pick it up. They did. And later, you know, and started drawing out the solution I was looking for. And and after the interview, uh, even the, the director of sales operations said to me, I was really hoping they would pick up that that highlighter, right, and go to the whiteboard. And they did. And the person was still around. He's still with us. He's great. Hope I never lose him. You know, it's it's and it's tough because the market's competitive out there and there's a big demand for people with his experience. So if you're in, oh, marketing, yeah. if you're in marketing ops, you know, there's 
salaries are up. People who actually have, if you already have, um, you have people on your team and you're, and you're, you know, they're doing a good job and they're knowledgeable, pay attention to them, right? Oh, yeah. Look at, look at the market. You don't want to lose them the cost because if you lose them and you have to hire somebody new, you're going to pay market rates. So why not just pay the market rate to the person who already knows your systems, has a good working relationship with your, within your business. So, well, and typically during the seeking a candidate process, you're spending about half the salary you would have spent on the previous person just trying to find that new individual. And I think with marketing operations, it could be even more because I've seen positions sit open six to nine months. I think part of that is the business doesn't know how to define the role in a reasonable way. I think on a lot of marketing operation groups I'm in, we we post job roles and then comment on. <laughs> yep, I, I'm, I'm in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting comment I saw on LinkedIn from a large platform. I don't want to say which one, but it was essentially like a VP level person saying they had gotten so many qualified applications for this role they posted, a director role, uh, it's going to be one of the hardest roles to fill because there's so many qualified people out there. And it, what I think that speaks to is that they're, the people out who are currently in roles are looking for new opportunities. They're yep. recognizing you know, that there is a promotion in there, a salary increase. And this VP basically said, hey, same thing I said earlier was you need to pay attention to the staff you have, right? The if you have this actually goes back to the question you asked me a few minutes ago, what do I look for in building a team? Right. And it's less about the actual platform skills. Mm -hmm. uh, I had told our internal recruiter, I said, you know, I'm fine with hiring someone who is has a few months of experience using MailChimp, because if they actually have strong logic skills, they'll figure this out really quickly. Mm -hmm. You have all these platforms coming out. Workato is one. Syncery yeah. is another one, which is really awesome. So for, I'm going to throw a little plug out for Syncery, right? Because I really like what they're doing. And I hope that's okay. No, Actually, yeah, you're fine. Well, of course, Caliber Mind, right? So <laughs> No, you're okay. You're yeah. okay. But you know, there's a lot here. The thing is, is all these platforms are really good. Certain ones are going to meet your business requirement. Not every single one is going to meet your business requirement. I started off using Zapier to integrate Marketo data into a Google Sheet and then using Supermetrics to pull in all that paid media data as well into those Google Sheets and build a flat oh, file. And build loved me some Supermetrics. They, they yeah. were really good at the time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they're doing now. There's just so many cool platforms out there, so much cool technology. And, you know, they don't need a lot of customers. They need 10,000 customers or if they're enterprise, 600 customers, right, to be profitable companies. Uh, they don't have to solve everybody's problem. Uh, and as well, you know, the user has to like the interfaces. The inter interface is difficult. You're just, no one's going to use it. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest hurdle with some yeah. of the older marketing automation platforms in particular, without the the visual flows. Marketo is kind of one of them where you have your, your paths and it's just not as... So Marketo is fugly. Thank right? you. I wasn't, I wasn't going to say it because I actually yeah. really like what it can do. And I think it's integration with Salesforce is it's the top best notch. I've seen. Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, of course, Marketo has timing issues within that Salesforce integration. However, their new executable flows, uh, yes. executable campaigns, sorry, are a huge thing. This is where it comes back to that question you asked me of building a team mm -hmm. is 
people who can build out logic skills. And all these platforms, like I said, with Rocato, you can do no code workflows, but you can also make them very uh, demanding on the platform. Uh, if you if you don't know how to use your use logic skills and think about reducing the workload on the system, it's going to take forever for your processes to run. So you may say, okay, go find you know if this then that right. If this value exists, then I want you to do this to to those records. But what's going to happen is the platform is going to run through the whole database and look for for that that if statement. Mm-hmm. But if you know that it's only you only want to look at people in two campaigns, yep. you would just ideally you say in member of these two campaigns, yep. then ask for if ask the if statement, yep. right? And then that runs through in about a second and a half compared to three minutes. And um, those seconds add up. Like yes. you have a you have a bunch of logic steps that people typically walk through. So if you're supplementing country data or you're running through an enrichment process and you're having to standardize the values to get things to move over properly, it can it can blow up really quickly. That's a great point. Yes. I know when I was hiring, I looked a lot for somebody with an analytics background because if I could see that they understood pattern matching and they understood Excel logic really strongly and, and knew like the order of operations there, they were pretty teachable when it comes to system stuff. It's yes. a, exactly as you said, it's that logic piece. But I found that a lot of times I was having to come up with um, almost tests on the fly where I would show charts or tables and ask for a pattern. And try not to let people get too hung up in figuring out the meaning of the numbers and just really yeah. tell me, like, where are the outliers? That's all I'm really looking for. So it was, it was interesting. So you nailed it with the expression order of operations. And in a number of uh, spreadsheets, I'll often put a tab calling order of operations so I can explain to people what I'm looking at. So yeah. with routing, when we built out our lead routing uh, in Marketo, when I before people would just send me these random instructions of, okay, this person's left, let's do this, send it to this person. And I would get on a call with them and I would help populate this spreadsheet that we had built mm-hmm. where we followed an order of operations. And I would go through the order of operations with them to say, all right, when we assign this, when we assign the the lead, Right. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at where's the billing country for the for the business and where is the location of the individual? Because mm-hmm. privacy is related to the location of the individual. Precisely. But, right. And account routing is based on the location of of the of the business itself. Mm-hmm. And every business has different roles. Yes. Goodness. So, yeah, absolutely critical to have that documented really well. Right. And, and when you when you start to when you start to segment out, you know, territory in the United States, you know, are you looking at, you know, west, west to central to east? If you break it out across time, if you break it your territory across time zone or if you break it across, you know, north and southern hemispheres. And so you need to start looking at, well, if this business, if the state is this, right? So you have to look at the state of the, what U.S. state, the prov or Canadian province, the business headquarters are in. And you pull mm-hmm. that from Zoom Info based on, you know, the company name that they've entered or the domain of their email address they've entered. And then there's them identifying what country they exist in for consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you just, and then you just route from there and you set permissions and, 
you know, consent options from there. So again, it comes down to, does somebody have those logic skills? Mm-hmm. Once, if they have the logic skills, finding someone who's older, who knows how to use, who learned Pascal as a programming language, programming language where mm-hmm. those logic skills are really important because makes or breaks how fast your programs are going to run. Those are the best people to get. <laughs> so, yeah. And I really love your point about, and we've made this point on the podcast over and over skills are transferable between systems. So yeah. if you're using something like MailChimp and setting up automation in there, I'm still interested in you. <laughs> yes. And then Salesforce understanding how the two systems talk to each other, order of operations is such a big win and a prospect. So when people ask me when I'm mentoring them, what skill sets they should really focus on to make themselves more marketable. The two I always say are Trailhead's wonderful, learn more about Salesforce and SQL. Cause I think that's, that's not going away. There are need to really understand, like you said, the logic and understanding how to mine data because it, we're just in a complex world with so much information thrown at us all the time. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You, you know, of course, nobody can see our faces because it's an audio recording, but I was just, as you saw, I was just nodding as you spoke, total agreement. You know, SQL, if you, SQL, it's easy to find the history of SQL was created in the seventies. The U.S. government, you know, forced the big, the big, um, can't remember the, what the name, which the companies were, but I think SAP was one of them. Oracle was one of them, a couple others. And they basically all had to get together if they wanted to do business with the U.S. government and come up with a common, common database language. And they came up with SQL. And it really, it hasn't changed. There's much like HTML. There's new flavors, new terminology mm-hmm. kind of thing. But, you know, a join is a join, right? Yep. And the thing to understand, sort of a key indicator of someone who understands marketing automation platforms and CRMs is... When they say, what is it? If you ask them, what is it? What what are you looking at? What are you doing? And they say, well, this is just a pretty interface on top of a SQL database. Perfect. Right? Then you yeah. know they know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because in Marketo, in Pardot, in, in all these programs, when you build a, use a filter to create a segment, and then you have the flow steps, it all looks very nice and easy to read. It's very high-level business function, very low code. Mm-hmm. In the back end, when you open a support ticket because something went wrong, they can actually see the SQL code, SQL code that was uh, commands that were firing. Yeah, and I think they right? call it SQL is a slightly different flavor, but okay. it's readable for sure yeah. in Salesforce specifically. Yeah, no, anytime they say it's basically a data warehouse, I'm like, yes, I want to work with this person because you understand tables. Right. Well, it's critical yeah. to understand how reporting works. If, if you can figure anything, I, I don't care if it's a workflow or a user interface, you have to understand how to mine for the information everybody needs. And that informs how you encourage input. Yep. And where, uh, where it's going to pay off to is when you start to run s- run lists and part author called dynamic lists in Marketo. They're called smart lists, yep. right? In Marketo, you know, we call them smart campaigns. I think in part author workflows, right? Or something like that. Yeah. There was a, there was a, I think your previous guest had done that document that. Allie Winich, Anna yes. Leary and Ben, the lexicon. Yes. Yeah, the lexicon. So I downloaded that and I was like, oh, this is excellent. Right. And mm-hmm. I saw it's been posted on the MoPros Slack group as well, which mm-hmm. is great. 
it really helps when it comes to troubleshooting. Mm-hmm. Just under having these logic skills for troubleshooting and be able to fix these things. Um, it's like, well, you look at the numbers and you go, that number is way too low. I should have three times this many records showing up. You know, in my in when I when I look at the people tab uh, yeah. or persons tab. So, and this is awful terminology to use, but one of my bosses referred to it as passing the sniff test. <laughs> so he would just say, like, is it within people need to realize that whoever um, they're supporting is going to be referencing data somewhere. And you need to make sure that whatever you're reporting is with within range, like do that double check, do that extra few minutes of digging in. And then you can also tell the difference between people who have done troubleshooting from people who haven't had the opportunity to do it yet, because they know to ask for specific examples. Like, can you show me a record? And then I can dig into it a little bit better. It's it's just yes. like an instant, ha, ah, you've done this before. It's like when you open a ticket with Marketo support these days yeah. and you say, hey, I'm getting an error here, and but I don't know where it's coming from. And they send you back a response saying, can you tell us where which one, which lead is giving you the error? I would love to. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> this is a topic I bring up a lot because I see symptoms of it everywhere, especially now we've been in year two of a pandemic, everyone's just tired and burnout is cropping up. I mean, it was already a huge issue before the pandemic hit. And I feel like the pandemic's just amplifying everything we're feeling. So you have a team. We as marketing ops people tend to be people pleasers and not super good with the boundaries. So how do you coach your team to help them avoid hitting that burnout point. Have you been burned by attribution? Are you tired of fighting with salespeople over target accounts and lead scores? We've all been there, and that's because traditional marketing analytics tools bolt onto your CRM and calculate attribution and engagement scores on the data as it is. And let's face it, most of the time, your CRM data is far from perfect. Caliber Mind is unique because it pulls data from all your sources, not just your CRM, into a data platform. Caliber Mind unifies your information, which means you can attribute dollars to website activity, standard Salesforce campaign activity, and more without wasting time in spreadsheets. Ditch the spreadsheets and check out a new way to analyze revenue data with Caliber Mind at calibermind.com. Have empathy. Mm-hmm. Key number one. Uh, rule number one, like I myself like to, I like to believe I lead with servant leadership. I always ask for feedback. I make it very clear to the people on my, on the team that I, that I manage. And even though I'm in a director role, I, the way I see myself is I'm the one who something goes wrong. I take the heat, but if something goes great, I make sure to really socialize and share the team member who had created that success. I don't say, yeah, my team, I or I did it. It's no, so-and-so did it. So-and-so did it. And, and I'll even call it out, call out other pe- people on other teams oh, yeah. in, in, a, in a group setting and say, I'm presenting this dashboard. I couldn't have done it without the help from so-and-so, mm-hmm. right? Their support was really critical in getting this done. So thank you. I think credit where credit is due, you do it publicly. And then if you have to correct somebody, you do that privately. And I don't think that detracts at all from 
the perception of the manager if they're giving people on their team credit. I think as long as they're accomplishing what they need to accomplish, everybody's happy with the outcome. Give your team credit. I think people also notice the opposite when a leader isn't taking credit for or isn't giving credit where credit's due. I think the team members probably notice it first, but I know other leadership teams, it's not something anybody likes. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to be bossed from behind. You don't want to be bossed from behind. Yeah. You want to be led from, from in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be, you want to work in a safe environment. And by that, I mean, mentally, emotionally, safe. Um, you know, we're all working from home. Of course, physically we're safe. We, our job, you know, uh, the, you know, our biggest risk is, is, you know, hurting our finger on our, you know, on our mouse, uh, our biggest risk, right? Tripping on the way back from getting coffee. Not coffee. that I've done that. <laughs> no, nope, never done it. Uh, <laughs> I started with saying empathy and working with, with stakeholders. Right. But I've also, you know, I've also let people on my team know that, look, you know, if you're talking to a stakeholder and they really want something done and you know you can't manage it, like if they're panicking and upset, you do whatever you can to, so to solve their problem because they're emotionally connected to this. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to own it and not let them down. But if, and even, and people will make mistakes, they'll forget about stuff. You know, you don't want them to get in trouble. If you can help them avoid getting in trouble because they forgot something, have that empathy. But if they simply want to get something done on a Friday because they just want it done and know it's checked off and really they should have let you know three days ago, you need to push back and say, I can't do that for you. And I have all this stuff in front of you. But if it is critical, let's contact the other stakeholder together and see if they don't mind if we bump their work. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So now stakeholder one is aware that they're going to impact stakeholder two. Right. And if they agree to it from, you know, from the view of what is the business need, what's important for the business, not what's important for John and Susan, and these aren't real names. It's what is the business requirement? What is, what is that need to be done? Or what is it that needs to be done? And I think a leaders model a couple of key behaviors that, that speak to that. One is um, they model how they want people on their team to handle mistakes. So if they make a mistake, they publicly, I made this mistake. Here's what yeah. I'm going to do co to correct. That comes, that, that actually builds a lot of credibility for your team. And it makes them feel safe to admit that they've made a mistake. Yeah, that's that's huge. And they need to feel safe that they can come up and do that. And so actually had that happen on my team where uh, I wasn't aware of a mistake, but a team member had had missed something, mm -hmm. discovered it uh, with a stakeholder, mm -hmm. the stakeholder. I know the stakeholder kind of let them know their their displeasure about it or disappointment with it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, they were let down. My team member let me know, but had a solution in place. Right. Like I always think if you're going to bring up a problem, you only bring it up when you can recommend a solution. Oh, absolutely. Right? right. Like if you're just saying, well, we have this problem, what are we going to do about it? Well, you're throwing it on somebody else. And I think it's fair to say we've identified this problem. We need help to develop a solution. So now you're asking for help or it's, we think the solution is this. Can we get some feedback? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's always, you're part of a team. You're not a lone wolf. You don't solve the problem by yourself. You keep everybody informed. You maintain good communication. 
Going back to that empathy part as well, I make sure that my team members know that when they are faced with a situation where they have to say no, they can always just defer to me. And and it usually is, I want to help you. Let me go check with Jeff. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've never had to be a bad guy. I got to say that, right? Everything mm-hmm. that never, that really never happens. The market's really hot right now. People are seeing they can move to a higher paying position. But I think another key thing here is that people are realizing the geographic boundaries that they used to have to put on their job search are no longer necessarily an issue. A lot of companies are very open to hiring the right talent remotely. I think as a hiring manager, that produces some interesting challenges. But why don't we talk a little bit more about advocating for our team and watching the market? Sure. Yeah. So I think geography geography is important, but time zones can be all over the place. I have direct reports in India. I have dotted line connections to Europe. Mm-hmm. At SAP, certainly it was on meetings with people all over in Malaysia, in Germany, France, Hong Kong. And colleagues that I, I used to work with at SAP are still at SAP of, of themselves. You know, great opportunities there. They've moved to New York City. They've moved mm-hmm. to Germany on their career paths. But you're still talking to people here in the West Coast in North America. Some companies early, I think some younger companies may struggle with the time zone differences. But if you have people, if you hire people who have experience working across time zones, who can be trusted to work independently, Mm-hmm. then you don't need to monitor be monitoring them through the day, right? Yeah. And I'm hoping that's something we've learned through COVID because I remember people using the line, I can't let you work from home because not everyone does a good job. And if until everybody can figure it out, we can't let people work from home. And the thought was always, why aren't we managing the person's performance and behavior instead of having a little more flexibility? Yeah. It's just really interesting to me. I I remember having a manager at one place who wanted people to work from the office when you want to, when you're like, I think I'm going to work from home tomorrow. And they're like, well, why? You're going to be in town, right? Yep. You got anything going on? Nope. Okay. Well, I'll see you in the office tomorrow. Yep. But then they themselves, because it was an open office environment, they would go find a meeting room and hide in there all day. And so you would see them all day. So they could get things done. Correct. Right? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, of course we start me- and we're messaging through our early Slack days kind of thing mm-hmm. where I am. The company's great uh, in that they've reduced office space. Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to be a completely remote company. They do want to have a retail, some retail physical spaces available, you know, in Vancouver, down in Austin so forth. Right. But the spaces are smaller. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people, they've realized people are functioning just just great. Had a good year, right? Everyone's working from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people do want to go back to an office, like on my team. One of the things I worry about remote work for operations people in particular is networking is such a crucial component of building your career and connections with people. I just hope that people take as many opportunities as they can to connect with their coworkers and not when just when they need something. So it's just yeah. my one thing that kind of pops in my head. I'm like, so many of us are so introverted already. That makes us good at our job at operations is, you know, sure. we like to, we do like to be 
on our uh, more on our own kind of thing. Yeah. I like what Mike Rizzo has done with the Mo Pros and mm-hmm. Edward Unthank at Echimos. They've both built out really good Slack groups and built out yeah. their, their communities. And I'm on both of them. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of good conversation that goes on. Some of it's fun. Oh, yeah. Like there's, you know, the Mops venting channel on the Echimos <laughs> yes. one, right? Yes. Uh, that's, good gifts. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun there. Uh, and then, you know, you end up talking to people like uh, from, like I've started chatting with people from Percuto, for example, which is in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, and I knew, and I've met Alex who owns Percuto a number of times, but now mm-hmm. I'm meeting with, with the, the some of the, like Justin, who's one of the architects there. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Very kind. Um, really nice. Yeah. Really nice guy. And, and you know what? Everyone is really helpful. Yeah. People are um, you know, sometimes you see questions and you think, well, that's pretty basic. You should really read the documentation, but you can help people by saying, here's the link to these pages in the yeah. Adobe Experience League documentation. Yep. This is going to be, re- this will really help you answer your question. Or here's a video if that doesn't work for you. Yes. Yeah, I haven't, it's, it's funny, I have dogs, so I think of it in terms of resource guarding. <laughs> you know, we'll have the bone and growl. I don't see that as much in operations, and I, I'm grateful that our community is so open with their knowledge. Well, I just, I just think there's not enough of us. Yes. Right. We're welcome. We're a very welcoming crew. Something you and I talked about earlier is that expression of the grass is always greener. Yes. Right. And and I saw this. I think I saw someone posting in in a Slack group or Reddit. But basically it's like, you know, be careful the grass it isn't always greener on the other side. Yeah. But sometimes it is be and the reason yes. is because they it gets watered over there. Yes. Right. Uh and I think that's what we're seeing in within this great Reg- resignation that we're seeing across North America f- amongst the tech community. Yep. Thing. But and it's not even the tech community. I think you're seeing people who work in the service industry also oh. le- easily leaving jobs as well, like, and going to finding something different. They're they're yeah. finding those office jobs. And in the US, it's ER doctors, nurses, they're just leaving in droves. Yep. Speaking of people new to the game and us being so welcoming, what's your advice for people who are thinking about coming into marketing operations? One thing I noticed is something I saw at SAP is in internship programs. I now I'm going to say right now, I am not an advocate of unpaid internships. Yes. It, 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 you know, it's, it, maybe it's a little different if you're getting an opportunity to go, you know, spend three months hanging out with, uh, with Jay-Z or something like that at his music. He's got a music production company. Oh, what's rolling through my head is like, do you, is your housing paid? Does he pay for your food? <laughs> right. Right. It, like if you, it's sure. Yeah. But you know, Jay-Z's got money. So why do you have unpaid internship, uh, unpaid interns kind of thing? Yeah. And the reason I can speak from it is, you know, my, one, my, one of my sons, I have a couple boys and one just started, uh, took auto body repair. So my son, is doing his apprenticeship, but it's a paid apprenticeship. Yeah. Right. And that's the whole point. And, and it's a red seal program. And he was fortunate to find good mentors and, and end up at a good, at a good place. He's learning how to work with some very cool systems and equipment and vehicles and like brands, but it's paid. Right. So mm-hmm. going back, going back to the internship programs, SFU here in Vancouver, Simon Fraser University has a very good partnership with SAP for interns 
And mm-hmm. the, the intern programs pay well at SAP in Canada. I know that Salesforce also does something similar down in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. Salesforce pays a lot more as well, but it's San Francisco. Uh, how that's being done under a COVID environment, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I'm not sure what's happening there. But that's something to think about is when if you if you are aware of where you want to end up in the technology industry, finding out what companies you want to work for and what internship programs are in place, then look at those universities and do what you can to end up in one of those internship programs. Because the people I've seen go through the internship programs have either ended up at hired full-time as FTEs, full-time equivalents at mm-hmm. SAP, mm-hmm. gone gone to Salesforce or gone to some other startups and do very well for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is something that's really important uh, to and, pay attention to. And something you mentioned through your son's program was finding excellent mentors. I think that's another approach. There's so many online communities and those of us in marketing ops are really vocal about promoting each other's skills. If you find somebody who resonates with you, maybe you get the opportunity to work with them. A lot of people are hiring right now. So that might be another approach too. I think that that's a really key point is, you know, just looking at at people as well, like looking at their online profiles. Are they helpful within online communities? Mm-hmm. What's the vibe you get from them kind of thing? Uh, yeah. you, can, you know, it's, do you see them, you know, giving feedback when, if I post a question, and someone gives me an answer and I don't respond with a, like a little thumbs up emoticon or something like that. I just ignore it. And essentially I'm, I'm becoming a, um, what's the word? I think a leecher or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about online people who just, they just go there and they just try to stir stuff up. Well, no, no, that's a troll. Right. But if, <laughs> yeah. you, if you could just go in and you, you leech information, but you never share. And most online communities mm. communities are like that. You know, 10% of the members will just share and be helpful. And the other 90% are just quiet. Yeah. They don't really have oh, a, yeah. lot, a lot of activity. But, you know, finding out, finding those people, just paying attention to them, reaching out to them, but also being mindful of and respectful of time and oh, yeah. kind of thing. But I'm I always, when someone helps me, I'm always, I always make a case to say thank you or pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, reciprocate in some way. Yes. Yeah. 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 Critical. Well, thank you so much for being on Jeff. I really enjoyed our conversation. Where can people find you online to network? I know you mentioned a couple of the marketing ops communities, but are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn, Jeff Q. So J-E-F-F-K-E-W. And of course the Mo Pros and the Etchemos Mop Pro. Yeah. These communities are just, they really make the world a lot smaller. Wonderful. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.